Bridge Bank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. Bridge Bank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. Bridge Bank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. Look at a spice rack and you can find the stories that lie within it. Some spices are aspirational, that cuisine you've never mastered, the seeds you've never quite learned how to toast. Others run deep in the family blood, in oregano, a kind of pepper, turmeric. The spice trade that juiced the colonial tragedies of the past 500 years is mostly confined to the past, but you can get a whiff of it in those precious threads of saffron, still going for $200 an ounce. Today, in our latest edition of All You Can Eat with Luke Tsai, we talk about the culture, history, and use of spices across the Bay and around the world. That's all coming up next after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. You can tell a lot about a person by their spice rack. What they want to cook, what they do cook, if they cook. There's nothing better than renting an Airbnb and stumbling upon a collection of Jacques Pepin-approved spice jars that easily date to the mid-1980s, some ancient McCormick celery salt or ground mustard, Madras curry powder. In my family, we're a cumin-loving household and an Aleppo pepper-loving household, and I remain a sucker for garlic salt. But my prized possession is ground marigold petals purchased from the restaurant Kochka up in Portland and sold as, quote, Georgian saffron. Here to talk about their favorite spices on this, our most recent edition of All You Can Eat, we're joined, of course, by KQED food editor Luke Sai. Welcome, Luke. Thanks you so, thank you so much, Alexis. Joined by Sana Javeri Kadri, founder and CEO of Diaspora Co. Welcome. Happy to be here. Yeah, so glad to have you. As well as John Beaver, co-founder of Oaktown Spice Shop. Welcome, John. Thank you, Alexis. Happy to be here. Yeah. So let's just start, I think, with favorite spices. We're going to get to colonialism. We're going to get to more equitable supply chains for spices. Uh, very exciting uh, work that's being done here. But I want to start with the kind of the tangible. Favorite spice or spice you couldn't live without? Uh, Luke Sai? Sure, it's a, it's it's a tough question. Um, the the one that comes most immediately to mind that I think of is the Sichuan um, peppercorn, mm-hmm. uh, which I think um, our other guests can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe it's not technically a peppercorn. I believe it's like a kind of berry. Um, yeah, it's from a tree. Um, and so, um, if you hadn't haven't had it before, you know, and I didn't grow up with this um, spice, even though um, I'm Chinese Taiwanese, um, but it's most uh, commonly associated with with um, Sichuan cuisine, uh, which I didn't 
really familiarized myself with until you know my my adult life. Um, yeah. But these Sichuan peppercorns, they're like um, they're like little lightning bolts, you know. And and when <laughs> you when you eat them or when you eat a food that that's cooked with a lot of them, um, it has this really interesting effect where it causes your your tongue and your mouth to to get a little bit numb. Um, and so, like the sort of most famous Sichuan flavor profile is called mala, right? Which basically translates to numbingly spicy. <laughs> and so, it's this effect where um, you you have uh, chili heat. You know, you have you have like lots of chilies. Um, so that's like the fire, um, that spice that you would associate with any kind of spicy food, right? But at the same time, you have this numbing effect on your tongue from the Sichuan peppercorn. That in a way uh, it, it makes your mouth feel feel a little funny if you're not used to it, um, but it also allows you to tolerate that heat more so than if your tongue wasn't numb. Um, so it's like it's like hitting you, you know. Um, it, it's not it's not a subtle spice. It's it. This is like really a hitting you over the head spice. But I love it um, in mapo tofu. Um, that's sort of like one of the traditional dishes that have it where if you, if you order mapo tofu and it's not a Sichuan restaurant, a lot of times it's just this like savory stew of tofu and ground pork. Um, but at a Sichuan restaurant, it's heavy, um, on that Sichuan peppercorn. And so you just get this great numbing heat with it. Um, so that's, that's one of my favorite spices. Senna, how about you? Oh, I mean... First of all, this does feel like being asked to pick your favorite child. Um, <laughs> well, you do like one more, so let's just go. Yeah, <laughs> I do, I do. Um, I think, you know, as a South Asian, um, the stereotype is that we love chilies, and this South Asian really does. I love chilies. Um, and there's this one chili pepper um, from Manipur, which is um, in the northeast of India on the Burmese border, um, called Sirarakong Hatte. And it's this long, like, nine-inch long chili. It actually doesn't grow that long in any other terroir or so conditions but it grows that long there and then as soon as it's harvested it's bright red um it gets smoked for 48 hours over bamboo um so it gets this like intoxicating floral smokiness um and i've been joking to people that like it makes paprika look bad but paprika deserves like love too um and yeah, it's Sirakong Hatte. And I think the, the magic of it is that it's really versatile. Like in Manipuri cuisine, obviously it's used in like traditional Northeast Indian cuisine um, and it shines in Indian food, but I've been using it for my kimchi um, and a lot in ragu. Um, so it's, it's very versatile, smoky, beautiful chili. And I think more like specificity and like people getting excited about specific chilies makes me happy. Yeah. Um, John Beaver, you, I mean, you own a spice shop, so I do think it probably is very as as hard for you as for Sana to pick a favorite spice. But how about like right now? What are you using the most? Yeah, definitely is hard. Um, yeah, the the regular things aside, I really love um, Jamaican allspice mm. and uh, nutmeg, and I find myself putting it in a lot of different things that aren't necessarily what you would um, maybe anticipate putting it in like a um usually you find nutmeg and allspice and baked things mm-hmm. uh, that's a ingredient in uh this seasonal thing pumpkin pie but uh i love nutmeg and red sauces for pasta uh over roasted greens roasted vegetables it's really good um i do put it in like pancakes and things like that um and i have a drawer in my kitchen with a microplane zester and i just 
and some some loose nutmegs and I zest. You have a nutmeg drawer? That's what you're telling me. Well, I, yeah, I wish. Our kitchen's pretty small, but um, <laughs> it's, it's shared. It's got about three dozen other things in it. But uh, I just I love grating nutmeg um, and everything. It just smells so wonderful and rich when you first grate it. Um, it's really delicious. And yeah. what is nutmeg? Well, it's um, for those people with nut allergies. You need not worry. It is. It is sort of a nut, but it's not considered a tree nut. So um, there, there's, uh, it's sort of a core of, I think I like to think of it as like a kind of a black walnut um, where you have the nut in the inside and then you have like a shell around that and then you have some flesh around that. And that's the flesh around it is the mace. Uh, maybe you've heard of that before. Um, uh, no, I actually, I haven't. But Sonny, you like mace, right? That this is <laughs> like a, a variation on nutmeg because it's coming from the same fundamental plant. Yeah. So, it, you know, as John said, like the nutmeg is the nut and then mace is the arrow. So it's like the little like lacy bright red covering around the ma- uh, around the nutmeg. And I love it, especially this time of year, because it's I think floral elements in my spices feel special and exciting to me. And and to me, mace is like a floral, um, more gingery version of nutmeg. And, you know, where nutmeg is magical, I sometimes think it can overpower, whereas mace is like gentle and beautiful, but also a little assertive. Um, And I add it as much in sweet things as I do into a lot of my curries, actually, like a thigh masaman curry um, really shines with mace in there. You know, Lucas, we're uh, kind of going around the horn with these Bay Area spice experts. It strikes me that do you think that the Bay Area has a particularly sophisticated kind of spice palette because the n- people from all over the world kind of live here and, and are dedicated to food? Yeah, I mean, I would guess so, you know, and I'm sure John can speak of this in terms of why, you know, perhaps you chose, <laughs> you know, Oakland and the Bay Area as a place to open your shop. But I think, yeah, I mean, there are so many um, spice forward cuisines. Um, you know, we talked about Sichuan food. Um, you, you talked about, um, you know, allspice and the way that that's used in so many of the um, Caribbean uh, foods that we also see um, represented in the Bay Area, um, South Asian cuisines, um, uh, Latin American cuisines, you know, so many of them, um, you know, whether you're talking about chilies, whether you're talking about um, things like Sichuan peppercorn, or whether you're talking about um, the sort of more warming um, spices that you see in a lot of desserts. I think there is such a range um, that there is a, a huge demand for people who want quali- uh, high quality spices, you know, which, mm-hmm. which I think if you're just going to the regular grocery store can be a challenge sometimes. Yeah. You know, John, um, let me ask you what sounds like a strange question. You know, I was reading up on the spice trade and spices, and I, I find myself at this UCLA Biomedical Library uh, exhibit, like digital exhibit, and I'm reading them say, it is now impossible to give a strict definition of a spice. The word suggests an imported tropical herbal plant or some part of it that's valued for providing color and aromatic flavoring. But there's not actually a definition for spice. It's just kind of a historical category of things. Yeah, that's right. It's it's uh, sort of a term that's changed over the ages. Uh, once upon a time, yeah, spice meant something that was grown in a tropical region, and an herb was something that was grown in a temperate zone. So hmm. um, right now, I think we tend to think of spices as like seeds and nuts and bark like cinnamon or flowers like um, cloves. Uh, but 
by that historical definition, uh, cumin would have been a herb and <laughs> mm. <laughs> and something like, um, I don't know, I'm trying to think of something that's leafy, but um, well, anyway, point being, uh, it's definitely changed. And um, now I think spices are <laughs> ambiguous and kind of mean something that is uh, like a, a flavoring for your food. That's makes your food uh, taste better. Makes, <laughs> makes your food taste taste better, and it's like a natural, naturally derived thing. It's not like yeah, yeah. produced in a lab or something. Yeah. I think what what my team says we see flavorful tiny things and powders that come from plants. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a good definition. I, I like, like adding the tiny things into it. I feel like that <laughs> is part of it, though. Right, because like cumin and coriander, like that's not a powder; those are whole, but they're just like little. And but then it's not just seeds, right? It's also roots and barks and herbs and flowers. So it's just tiny things. Mm. Can we talk about cinnamon for just one second? Because you mentioned it's a it's a bark, John. But when I saw it's it's like literally the interior bark of a tree. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, we don't really think of ourselves as eating trees. We are like more like nuts and leaves and things like that. But it is indeed. Um, and it's, uh, I don't know, it's, it has a sweet, rich flavor. There's other barks that we eat, like, um, sassafras, like the, the flavoring for root beer. Um, I know there, yeah, I don't know. There's, there's a handful of things. That's that, amazing. Yeah. We're talking cinchon. about spices, how to use them, what an equitable spice trade might look like. As part of All You Can Eat, our series on Bay Area food cultures with KQED food editor Luke Sai. We're joined by John Beaver, co-founder of the Oaktown Spice Shop as well, and Sana Javeri Kadri, founder and CEO of Diaspora Co. We'd love to hear from you. What's a spice you can't live without? What's a spice that's kind of surprised you or your relationship to has changed over time? You can give us a call. The number is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or KQED Forum. The email is forum at kqed.org. This is the Spice Girls, and I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more right after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We are talking about spices. This is part of All You Can Eat, our regular series on Bay Area food cultures with KQED food editor Luke Sai, joined by Sana Javeri Kadri, founder and CEO of Diaspora Co., and John Beaver, co-founder of the Oaktown Spice Shop. Uh, Sana, I wanted to come to you because, you know, you were noting that spices are, you know, these tiny things 
but they're also this massive thing. They're also, you know, the history of globalization, basically, in all of its yeah. kind of different manifestations. And maybe you could give us a, a little bit of the history that inspired you to start this company, Diasporaco. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I often joke that spices or black pepper in specific was the original Louis Vuitton handbag. It was a status symbol and it was a symbol of luxury for, you know, the upper classes in the 1800s and the 1700s and the 1600s. Um, <laughs> but yeah, for me, it was really researching the spice trade and realizing that, well, one, spices have moved around the world for thousands of years, but in their current form where the farmers make very little money and the middlemen make a lot of money. Um, lots of middlemen make a lot of money. That's um, a form of the spice trade that has sort of happened over the past 300 years with British, Dutch, Portuguese colonialism, where the colonizers realized that there was a lot of money to be made. You know, empires were built on spice. Um, I realized that uh, in India, where I'm from and where I grew up, and I moved to California from 10 years ago, um, South Asian farmers were making like pitiful amounts of money even they even when they were growing really beautiful spices differently like when they were growing things regeneratively when they were growing things with like very responsible land stewardship using heirloom seed varieties they were still having to sell it at the commodity market mm. at a price that was so low that it made no financial sense and so um for me it was it was really about if there's this amazing generation of young regenerative farmers growing delicious spices that like often have never been seen before. Like these Sirakong Hathay chilies that I mentioned earlier had never left this village um, for like public consumption. Um, so if, if these spices and ingredients already exist, how can we get them to customers in a way that makes farmers a lot of money and in a way that really tells the story of who is growing them and the culture that these spices come from? Mm. I think a facet of colonialism was realizing that we, when we think about black pepper, we often think about French cuisine, um, but black pepper comes from the hills of Kerala. Why don't we think of, you know, Malabari cuisine? Um, the Malabar coast is the is the west coast of India. Um, and so for me, it's also about culture and saying, if these ingredients come from these places, we're going to show you how a black pepper farmer uses this, this amazing peppercorn to make fish curry. Um, and that's exciting. I'm not saying you shouldn't use it to make pasta. You absolutely should. Pasta delicious. Um, but we should deepen our understanding of these ingredients and what you can do with them. Yeah. So some of building this better spice supply chain is material. It's paying the farmers more. But some of it is also cultural, right? Like to re-embed the cultures from which these spices come in yeah. the what in the stories that you're telling about it to the people that you're selling spices to. Exactly. Yeah, and I think when I was researching the models and and actually something to mention is that John like taught me how to import. So Oaktown Spice Shop <laughs> is like the reason Diaspora coexists. Um, I remember being like, so I'm researching turmeric. Do you know anything? And he was like, if you find good turmeric, I'll buy it from you. And true to his word, the man buys it from me. Um, so thank you, John. <laughs> um, we love Oaktown. Uh, but yeah, I think with when it comes to culture, I was researching coffee and cacao and realizing that you know, the specialty coffee movement or the bean to bar chocolate movement, where you now get these delicious beans like dandelion chocolate in San Francisco um, or blue bottle coffee as the original. Um, 
they were sourcing really beautiful stuff from thoughtful farmers, but the people telling the stories were Americans, were not the people actually growing the food um, or from like, if you're doing a beautiful Ethiopian coffee at Blue Bottle, um, you didn't have Ethiopians telling the story of what that coffee meant to them and how it's traditionally prepared. And I think that's what felt important to me is if we're sourcing, you know, Pragati turmeric from Andhra Pradesh, which is on the east coast of India, I want to be sharing Andhra recipes and I want to be sharing, you know, how marigolds bloom when the turmeric is harvested and it's harvested, you know, on a very auspicious day. And like, those are, the, those are the things we want to share with people. And we realize people re are very excited by that and want to know and feel more connected to and more invested in their food when they know those stories. Yeah. John uh, Beaver, co-founder of Oaktown Spice Shop, when you're sourcing at the retail side, how do you find producers or or importers, you know, like Sana, who have these other supply chains and are doing this work versus people who are just, uh, you know, kind of bringing in the, the most bulk commodity they can and, and selling it? It's definitely challenging. Um, lucky for me, Sana came into the shop, so <laughs> that, that connection was very easy. But there are there are some other places, other people doing some interesting uh, work and doing some importing. Um, you know the, the conscientious importing um, that similar to what Sana's doing. I think she. I mean, she's definitely at the forefront of it. Um, but um, yeah, just trying to find somebody that that um, has something written into their mission statement, like about sustainability. Um, uh, sometimes it's about fair trade. Um, but yeah, it's it's not an easy task for sure to to um, to find everything in in the. Um, that has been sourced in that responsible way. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Let's get uh, a caller in here. Uh, Leslie in Bellinas, welcome. Uh, hi. Um, I have a favorite spice that I have a hard time eating, which is Urfa chili. Um, uh, and it's used in several recipes that I have. Ottolinghi uses it, and also a wonderful book, Dan and Quince uses it. Um, and the other spice is nigella seeds. Nigella seeds that are actually flavorful. Um, I've actually tried to grow the nigella. So anyway, those are two spices that I think are really interesting. Oh. And I wondered what your... Yeah, um, no, I'm I'm curious. <laughs> I actually, I, I am not familiar with either of these, John. Well, you mentioned Aleppo early on, and Urfa is sort of a cousin to Aleppo, uh -huh. I would say. It's grown in that same region in southern, southeastern Turkey, uh, and it's a chili that's dried in the sun, and sort of, sort of sun cured, and then it is, um, it's cut and mixed with a little bit of oil uh, and salt, and it has a lovely, rich uh, flavor. I call it the the pipe tobacco of, of chilies. It's, <laughs> it, it does have a bit of heat, but it's not. I'm not sure that's a good sell, John. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> my, I grew up, my dad smoked a pipe and I always, oh, love, okay. I love the smell yeah, of it, yeah, but, yeah, yeah, but yeah, I mean, yeah, you probably wouldn't want to eat it, but um, I, wow. I'm not sure if I abided by that. I probably have tried it, but um, it's, <laughs> it's not, not a super spicy chili, but it, it does have a touch of heat and the oiliness really helps, um, dissipate the heat so it's not concentrated mm -hmm. it, it won't hit you on the back of the back of the throat like uh, like a cayenne would um that's a great one and then nigella uh we were talking about this earlier on um 
that's uh, Kalonji. Maybe Sana, uh, you can bring start bringing in some really good Nigella uh, from India. Yeah, we we are. It launches in March. Oh, oh, no kidding. Um, yeah, and it. a big reason was that so much of the Nigella that's available in the U.S. like just doesn't have that oil content. For us, like fat is flavor. So when you have you know really high oil content, then all the flavor hits your palate. But with Nigella, in terms of how to use it. For me, I added to my tarka. So tarka is when you bloom spices in a fat. I usually do ghee. You could also do olive oil. And then, so I'm doing, my my classic tarka is black mustard seeds, nigella, cumin, um, little pinch of turmeric powder at the end. So first you fry the seed spices until they start to dance in the oil. Um, and then when it gets really aromatic, you add your powder. So I usually add like a pretty like mild tomatoy chili powder are the one that I use is called Guntur Sanam um, and then turmeric powder. Um, and then that is beautiful over so many things. I even do a tarka over my fried eggs because it really brings fried eggs to life. Um, but so you, you kind of make that and keep it in the fridge or it's more the kind of thing where no, you, you, you want to do it fresh. You want to do it aluminum, yeah. but it, it's a process that takes you 90 seconds, you know, because you're taking like the tiniest pan you have. South Asians often have something called like a tarka pan or a tarka spoon. Diaspora sells one. Um, <laughs> and, but, but you, you know, you can also just use a teeny tiny pan, um, put like two spoons of oil in there or any fat that you want and then um it's an easy way to brighten up something sad like doing a tarka on like you know some leftover fried rice pretty delicious you could add some sichuan peppercorns like i feel like the technique of tarka is applicable to many cuisines you just sub out the flavor profiles um you know on the on the topic of Things that have the same name but are not actually the same thing, like in terms of sort of the, the quality of these products. I mean, you one of your big things right now is jaggery. I'm not sure I actually said that right. But can you tell us about that and sort of what it's like finding something in a store here that has that name on it but not feeling like it just <laughs> has none of the actual qualities uh, for, that you're used to? Yeah, I think that's an issue with the entirety of the spice trade, except what you get at John's shop, I think, <laughs> um, where you think, you know, it's called turmeric and then it's just yellow powder. Um, but with jaggery, um, I was getting jaggery at the Indian store um, because I was homesick for the jaggery from my home of Mumbai and Maharashtra, the state around Mumbai um, is quite a sugar crane growing like superpower and the jaggery that I was getting here was was pretty flat. So for those that don't know, jaggery is... Um, an unrefined sweetener made from sugarcane juice that's just boiled down and hand processed for a very long time. And it has this like caramely molassesy depth and sweetness. Um, I use it to sweeten absolutely everything. It's a pretty good like one-to-one swap for white sugar. Um, obviously you get a lot more depth of flavor and molasses notes. And um, so about a year ago, we started sourcing jaggery. We, we did this whole test. We like got jaggery from 20 different farms. We taste tested, tested the differences. You know, some are slow cooked for longer. So they're darker and more caramely. Some are less cooked and therefore they're like bright yellow, um, but lighter. And we ended up picking one that had these beautiful butterscotch notes um, and brought it to the U.S. And I think we're the first person to bring in a really single origin, um, regeneratively grown sugarcane jaggery. Mm. And people have gone wild. We sold out a long time ago. We're desperately trying to bring more in, but mm-hmm. we're waiting for the sugarcane to grow. Man, um, it's really, it's it. just hearing you talk and just the words you're using and the, the vocabulary, it's like really this like third wave coffee, but like brought to these this this other realm. It's just so, absolutely. so, so interesting. Yeah. Um, you know, Luke, we have a comment uh, from Anne. Anne writes in to say, 
Can one of your guests recommend a spice blend they might use on a simple fast meal or tired leftovers to perk it up when they don't have time to cook? We got Sana's version of this, uh, these bloomed spices in, in a fat. Uh, what would that be for you, Luke? Um, I, I can just speak to, I mean, there there are a lot of great spice spice blends out there. Um, John sells a lot of them in his, in his store. Um, one that's just on my mind uh, recently, uh, we recently had Ileana Maisonette um, mm. uh, as a guest talking about her um, Puerto Rican, um, uh, or not just Puerto Rican, Diasporican. And so, um, you know, I, I, sh- she has... Um, uh, 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 sazon, you know, which is a spice blend um, uh, that's used in a lot of um, Puerto Rican cooking. Um, and I was able to procure uh, some of it. I think she has a partnership with um, this other spice company called Bur- uh, Burlap and Barrel mm-hmm. um, that they do a lot of partnerships with like local chefs and, and local um, sort of cookbook authors. Um, and so it's her personal, you know, because I think it's like one of those things where like every family um, has their own distinct blend, you know, their own like the proportion of things that are in it. Um, and it is... Um, you know, it's 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 del- delicious. You know, and I think um, you you can also use a similar technique um, to what Sana was talking about, where if you like heat heat a little bit up in oil, um, but it's like great with um, like any kind of meat. Um, it's great like over rice, um, and so uh, that that's one that 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 I have had on my mind recently. Mm-hmm. You know, Debbie writes in to say, I love za'atar, which is actually a spice blend. I buy it at Oaktown Spice Shop for so many things. Here's my question. We had uh, Rima Seal on the show, and in her cookbook, um, there's a lot of discussion about za'atar, which is, you know, used liberally um, in, in the book. So, like, how do you pick, John, uh, how to do that particular blend. Because in, in her book, she kind of indicates, as you know, Luke was saying too, there's so many different ways of making za'atar. Every family, every place has kind of its own mix. So how do you decide, okay, this is the Oaktown za'atar? It's a challenge for sure. Um, I, you know, I, we're kind of flavor-driven, so we, we, we might uh, sort of depart sometimes from real traditional uh, uh, recipes for things just to to arrive at a flavor. So with za'atar, the way we make it, because the w- the chief ingredient in za'atar is, is an herb called za'atar, which is Syrian mountain oregano, and that's not something that's commercially available in this country. We don't have a source for it. So we had to kind of come up with a flavor for that. So we combined uh, herbs like um, uh, Mediterranean oregano and thyme and um, a little savory and marjoram. And uh, our secret is ajwan seed, which is uh, from India, but has a real strong thymol flavor, that real like thyme-like flavor. That's genius. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, just to really amp up that, that, uh, that great uh, earthy, lemony flavor that you get from, from uh, Syrian mountain, orega- uh, mountain oregano. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's sort of a challenge. Um, you kind of work with what you can get sometimes, uh, and, um, you yeah. know, hopefully it all works out and, and I, I mean, maybe we're saved by the fact that there are so many variations out there that we don't have to adhere to some strict yeah. formulation. Want to talk about oregano quickly, John in San Francisco. Welcome. You also want to talk about oregano. Yeah. Good morning. Uh, 
I had a Sicilian mother who who used to use oregano. Uh, she used to make a, a, she grew her own tomatoes and, and avocado and tomatoes and oregano and vinegar and oil. And I haven't been able to duplicate it since she passed away. And, and I'm wondering, you know, what is in oregano that I love so much? I use it on everything. <laughs> hey, thank you, John. I would say the thymol, yeah. the t- the t- the t- that the the um, volatile oil thymol, uh, which you could like maybe um, boost up your oregano with a little ajwan seed. Ah, you know, and yes. it, it, here's a question though, right? Because it, there's the Italian oregano, and then you get this thing in the supermarket Mexican oregano, and you've got is are these actually all the same thing, or did they just all somehow acquire the same name because they're sort of close enough? Yeah, I think the latter. Um, Mexican Mexican oregano is actually a different, an entirely different species. It's in the verbena family, hmm. uh, where oregano, uh, like the Mediterranean oreganos, are all um, in the mint family. Um, so pretty, pretty far fetched. Um, I guess they sort of resemble each other, but I, I don't know. I wouldn't confuse the two. Um, and Oregano, like Mediterranean oreganos that you see, there's sort of a spectrum of oregano that that goes from like some a real flowery marjoram to that real earthy, um, lemony thyme kind of flavor. Mm. So interesting. I mean, it's also you know something I'm just reflecting on as I'm listening to to all of you talk is how much these things are like embedded in these kind of weird histories of uh, not just colonialism but also like botany and people not you know not necessarily understanding where new plant species like fit in some technical scientific phylogenetic tree. Instead, they're just kind of well, it looks like this. It comes from a plant that looks like that. Which of course, that's one of the things that makes this such a such a human an interesting experience these spices um we're talking about spices as you can hear we're talking about what an equitable spice trade really looks like and really paying attention to them as ingredients this is part of our series all you can eat on bay area food cultures with luke sai we're also joined by sana javari kadri founder and ceo of diaspora co and john beaver co-founder of the oaktown spice shop we're going to get to some more uh calls after the break um Here's an interesting question for you. What's a spice that you grew up with but you can't find now? You could give us a call. It's 866-733-6786 or Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, KQED Forum, or the email is forum at kqed.org. I'm Alexis Madrigal. This is Simon and Garfunkel. (laughs) Stay tuned for more. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. 
Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We are talking spices, spices, spices. It's part of All You Can Eat, our series on Bay Area food cultures. Joined by Luke Sai, KQD food editor, of course. Sana Javari, Kadri, founder and CEO of Diaspora Co. And John Beaver, co-founder of Oaktown Spice Shop. We're going to talk now about pumpkin spice. No, just kidding. We're going to go to the phones. Uh, Bastian in uh, Sonoma. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks so much for having me, and I really compliment um, on on this uh, topic. You know, spices are, are year-round, really, but if you think about it, um, as we head into the what we define as the holiday season, I think uh, spices really move front and center um, in in our Thanksgiving cooking, in our in our holiday cooking, maybe even um, in the occasional mulled wine. But I, I really wanted to bring up. Uh, I'm the owner of the Spanish table. Um, we do have a spice section. And one of the spices that we sell um, that I'm just in love with, I would say, from a culinary perspective, is Pimenton de la Vera, which is a smoked uh, paprika from the Extremadura region in, in far western Spain, um, which has a really, really great origin story brought back from the Americas um, by the early Spanish explorers. It's grown in a region where in the fall it's too wet to dry peppers in the sun. And so these peppers are smoked in barns. And, it, and it's quite an elaborate and intricate process with, with artisanal knowledge of baffling and smoke uh, fires set in the barns. And it creates a really, really, really warm, rich flavor. And, and it's just such a good adjunct to so much cooking that I um, you know, wanted to get the opinions of the guests that you have on, on where they see, um, you know, uh, among all the yeah. um, more exotic spices, where they uh, see pimenton de la vera and smoked um, yeah. paprikas fitting in. Well, best friend, let me ask you, uh, before, I, before we go to them, I want to ask you, like, how you think about sourcing. You know, you've been hearing someone talk about, like, all these, um, you know, farms, kind of ways to go farm to table, but with spices. Um, how is it that you kind of build those relationships as you're trying to build your own kind of supply chain for these things? Yeah, well, we have, you know, that's a, that's a great and interesting point, And it's one where, where I would define as, you know, where we are in the present and where we'd like to go in the future. Um, the present is that, you know, Pimenton de la Vera in particular, we source actually in Spain directly and we import it um, as part of our direct import. Um, we, di- we direct import olives, paella pans, but, but Pimenton de la Vera we bring in almost by the pallet. And so we have uh, we establish relationships with um, spice vendors and increasingly I'm, I'm cognizant of understanding their growing practices and making sure that they are that they're forward looking and they're sustainable um, so that's something that we're actively working on. I, I think that's sort of the, what I define as the present. The future is more focused on, on carbon neutrality, on those things that we do import, and, 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 and being mindful of that. And I don't mean the greenwashing way. I mean the, the truly, um, uh, truly thoughtful um, uh, uh, you know, carbon credits and, and transportation credits. That's something we have to think about when we import. Kind of the future that I see for us is also trying to find, you know, is there anyone who would, who would emulate a traditional Spanish method, so Pimenton de la Vera, are there local growers that would grow and, and condition those kinds of peppers? We would obviously not be able to call them Pimenton de la Vera because that's yeah. kind of a DOC-type yeah, yeah. naming. But, but the future is, is, is really, um, you know, we at the Spanish table are actively now looking at a program to bring Spanish-inspired and Spanish-originated um, things that are local in. And so I think that's a very important topic, and I, I'd love to know, you know, we, we, uh, we also work with a company in the North Bay called Whole Spice um, to supply some of our spices. 
um, you know, that's going to be a, a growing partnership and we'll work with them on, you know, how sustainable is each of these spices? How are they sourced? Um, you know, that, that is that is where more yeah. detail is probably a, a good idea and should be presented along with the yeah. detail that we do. Thanks so much for that, uh, Bastian. I, you know, Luke, it seems like more and more chefs around the region are like becoming very cognizant. Maybe they always were, and I just didn't know. Maybe I'm becoming cognizant of what they're doing around these uh, around these spices and where they come from and how they're used. And um, can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, I don't. I th- I think I think that that's true. Um, but I-, I don't know if John and Sona would agree with me. But I think that it's still quite lagging behind um, in terms of uh, relative to other things in the Bay Area. You know, like I think there's a lot of um, uh, thought that goes into and a lot, a lot of awareness around like where your produce comes from and how it's grown, um, your meat um, sourcing and sustainability issues around that. Um, and you'll see, like, if you go to a restaurant, you'll often see um, the name of the farm um, or you'll see the name of the ranch where the meat comes from. Um, but I think in my experience, there are relatively few restaurants that I go to where, like, the spices are made transparent on that sort of level, mm-hmm. you know, where you'll see, like, Diaspora Co., <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah. Uh, on the menu, like, we source all of our t- turmeric, you know, from this farm. Um, and so I think that that's, you know, com- companies like Sana's and, and, and others who are, who are sort of moving the needle in that area are really helping to bring that sort of awareness. And I think maybe moving forward in the next two, three, four years, we'll start to see more of that. Um, but I think right now, you know, like if you're running a restaurant, margins are so tight. And so um, I, I think that there are a lot of places that, you know, I, I don't want to speak for any one particular restaurant, but um, I don't know that spices for a lot of restaurants is necessarily where they're investing the most thought and the most um, sort of money. Um, and so, but I, I would love to see. Yeah. Sandra, what do you, what do you think? Yeah. Like, do you, yeah, just... I, I was just about to jump in. Like I have thoughts. I have thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I mean, we've been building out our food service program pretty recently. It's quite a new thing. And I think that was mostly because companies like ours who are sourcing really thoughtfully directly from small farms, um, these small farms needed time to scale. And so we didn't actually have supply to give restaurants. So even if restaurants were writing to us, we we're like, we're selling these direct to consumer online to customers on our websites. So we kind of have to prioritize that. And it's only five years in that now our farm partners have scaled their harvests enough that we're like, okay, you know, this restaurant like Chez Panisse wants a 50 pound bag of black pepper every two weeks. Okay. Yeah. We can make that work mm-hmm. five years ago. No way. No way in hell. Um, I think we're also noticing a shift because chefs are realizing that a little goes much further. So yes, it's double the price, but it's four times as um, as tasty and as powerful and flavorful and strong. So, you know, you use a chef used our turmeric in a recipe that he usually uses a full tablespoon in, and he ended up having to use a fourth of a teaspoon because it's (laughs) just a full gut punch. Um, So I think, you know, the math makes sense once they try it and start using it. And then I think there's also something to be said for if you're a restaurant and you're struggling with your margins and you can pick, you know, hero spices. So like pick Kashmiri saffron, that's just like exquisitely strong and floral and aromatic. Um, But don't use... I don't know, like our cumin and coriander, which you go through too much off to justify the pricing. Obviously, the goal is, is that thoughtfully regeneratively grown spices is what you're sourcing everything from. But like, 
I get it. It's capitalism. It's margins. It's hard out there. We're in the middle of hella inflation. Yeah, yeah. Let's um, go back to the phones. Let's just run through some people's favorite spices. Desiree in Santa Rosa. Hey, Desiree, can you hear me? Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Um, If your panel can address how herbs are very um, excellent antioxidants, and I was learning as I became a plant-based eater that uh, cumin, turmeric, everyone has the highest antioxidant properties. And my favorites are cumin and turmeric in that regard. Yeah, yeah. Let's, uh, we're going to, we'll take these in a, in a little block here. So, um, Marsha in Santa Rosa. Well, how interesting. Uh, <laughs> I'm also in Santa Rosa with a similar uh, comment. <laughs> Santa Rosa uh, loves turmeric. Yeah. Yeah, well, not just that. Uh, the polyphenols, the anti inflammatories, the gut protecting, you know, the, the uh, immune system stimulating properties. Uh, that these polyphenols, you know, things that give it its flavor and color and aroma, etc., they're also propping up our bodies in the most beautiful way. And, um, like, I make smoothies every day, and two things that go in the smoothies are cacao and cinnamon. Mm. And I use lots of turmeric, and you can blend turmeric and black pepper which is uh, especially boosting for the body. And you can add fenugreek. But there's just so many combinations and things, you know. So I just want to say thank you, you know. (laughs) Thank you to Mother Nature for all these wonderful things that make make our taste buds so happy. And when we smell them and so forth and look at them, but they're also protecting us during flu season and keeping us, you know, healthier. Thanks so much, uh, Marsha. And I think, you know, so I wanted to bounce this one to you um, because there has been, you know, kind of an increasing use in American culture around the sort of medicinal or kind of wellness properties of a lot of these spices. I mean, what's your just kind of take on that movement? Is that to to, to to me or to someone? Oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Sorry. Um, yeah, I, I wanted to jump in, but I heard John somehow. <laughs> oh, sorry. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, a big reason we started the company or I started the company was I I was looking at turmeric as an ingredient. And, you know, turmeric ha- when turmeric is fresh and well-sourced, it has a high curcumin content. Curcumin is inc- extremely anti-inflammatory. Um, but when your turmeric is seven years old, um, it has no curcumin left in it. Like the curcumin content is probably 0.1%. And when then when it's not being consumed in conjunction with black pepper, the active compound of black pepper is piperine. Um, so the presence of piperine makes curcumin um, a thousand X more bioavailable to your body. Um, and so I was seeing people consume these turmeric lattes with old turmeric, no black pepper and no you know, fat in order to actually help your body absorb it and just sort of laughing, being like, mm-hmm. this is doing nothing for them. And so a lot of what Jasper was about is like, how do we find a turmeric that is lab tested to be high in curcumin? Um, so ours is 5.2% and we tested every harvest, but also then figuring, giving customers the tools to say, you need to consume it with a crack of freshly cracked black pepper. Again, buying pre-ground black pepper means that the piperine content in it is very, 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 very low. So like, please freshly crack, crack your black pepper to release that piperine in um, and then do it with a good fat. And even milk can be you know qualified as a good fat in this category, which is why a turmeric latte or haldi dud, as we call it, um, 
is is quite so good for you. Um, and a, it, it's been a fascinating process to realize how many people don't realize that and how much they want the anti-inflammatory benefits. But like, and, and that's why I'm consistently saying, if you go back and listen to the culture and listen to 2000 years of South Asian wisdom, this is what we've been saying all along. But if you pretended that Gwyneth Paltrow invented a turmeric latte, you don't get those benefits. <laughs> I, I was just going to jump in too and, and just uh, echo what Sana was saying. And, and again, not to speak to her, but I, I do feel like it's, this is very tied to those issues of colonialism um, yep. that we were talking about earlier, you know, because I know from talking to Sana around the time when she started the company was right around when like goop discovered turmeric right and then all of a sudden um you saw these turmeric lattes or golden lattes being sold at these sort of like wellness focused um like fancy coffee shops all over the country you know and so it just begged you know it just it just raise this issue you know i think when we talk about issues of appropriation um Mm -hmm. people get very sensitive because they think it's like what are you saying you know i can only cook and eat things from scandinavian because that's (laughs) where my people are from you know and i I don't think anybody is saying that right um but i think it's a question of like who is getting the prestige and attention um for a certain product and who is profiting off of it, you know, and so I think we started this segment with Sana talking about like wanting to put that money into the hands of the people in India who are actually growing the product. Um, I think that's deeply tied to to these issues. Yeah. Um, let's do a couple of practical things. We have a, a couple of listener comments that um, I love. Uh, Christine writes. How long is it reasonable to keep spices before replacing? My husband says years. I say a year at most. My mom says 20 years. No, I'm just kidding. But there's, you can find some very old spices in, uh, in some spice cabinets. Um, what would you say, John, is – these spices are degrading, right? The active ingredients are, are sort of leaving them. Definitely. Yeah. Um, if the, the vessel that it's in is an antique, it's probably too old. <laughs> <laughs> You see a if lot you can of sell it on yeah. eBay, yeah, um, yeah, if yeah, the, if the the tin or, or glass is worth more than the spice, then yeah, I would say. Um, but it really depends on what it is. Certain things really do hold their their flavor. Um, like whole cloves will last years and years and years. Um, I, I mean, maybe even ten years. Um, they're not going to have as much punch, but they'll still have some flavor. Ground things, uh, as Sana mentioned, like ground pepper really dissipates the flavor dissipates quickly after you grind it and um if you leave too long you're left with a really like harsh like heat flavor but not you you don't have any of the warm notes that that pepper is known for um herby things can be more delicate but like a bay leaf is pretty resilient so uh you know a bay leaf kept in a glass jar like away from the sun will last a couple years uh the um best advice i have is like taste it smell it uh, and if it tastes, you know, good and it has a flavor, <laughs> then, <laughs> I, you know, some, some people are really methodical about it and they like, they dump the things if they look at the Best Buy on, on the, the label. I'm going downstairs like right after the show. Yeah, right. <laughs> but I mean, you should be able to, if it has a, like a pleasant aroma and smells like it should, then it's probably fine, you know, um, but um, if it tastes yeah. bitter and it has a rancid flavor or it doesn't have a, any flavor, then, uh, I would uh, compost it. It's, okay, one more practical question. One more practical question. A listener writes in to say, can your guest comment on using a mortar and pestle versus a spice grinder to make one's ground spices from whole spices? 
guess it depends if you have tennis elbow or not, but... Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, how lazy are you? I'm lazy. <laughs> so what do you use then, son, if you're... Don't Honestly, sound I use a $20 Crips electric spice grinder. Um, there's also a new company called Finamil that does these like really fun handheld electric spice grinders. Um, but I think it's not that complicated. You want to turn it into a powder. You either want to do it the, like, you know, pesto by hand in a mortar and pestle is a beautiful thing. Do I make pesto by hand in a mortar and pestle? <laughs> no. Um, so, you know, yes, when I'm making a, a really thoughtful masala for a special dish that like reminds me of my childhood i'll grind up my coriander and cumin in a mortar and pestle um to get it like to exactly the right slightly coarse consistency that i want but most of the time it's going into the 20 dollars crops from best buy um and actually just to speak to the the staleness thing i think you know putting a lot of the industry has put the the blame on customers to say you know oh, you shouldn't keep it for that long or, oh, you should, you know, get rid of it when it doesn't smell good. Um, but for me, I feel like industry-wide, we need to be putting harvest dates on spices and letting people know when it was harvested. So that's a way to keep track. Um, and of course, like John said, like cloves can stay good for ages. So just because it's been two years, you don't have to throw it out. I think throwing out spices, unless they have, if they have still have flavor in them is, is wasteful. Um, but I think industry-wide there's, there's time for a little bit of change in how we do things and yeah. pushing, pushing, especially the McCormick's of the world, um, to tell us that the peppercorns that are in that jar or the ground cardamom that's in that jar was actually harvested in 2013. Yeah. Thank you all so much. It's been so fascinating. I was so excited about the show, and you all have delivered. We've been talking about spices as part of All You Can Eat, our series on Bay Area food cultures. We've been joined by KQED food editor Luke Sai. Thank you, Luke. Thank you so much, Alexis. Also joined by Sana Javeri Kadri, founder and CEO of Diaspora Co. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Should people check out your Instagram? Is that where they should find out about Diaspora? Mostly our website, www.diasporaco.com. So D-I-A-S-P-O-R-A-C-O.com. Awesome. And John Beaver, co-founder of Oaktown Spice Shop. Thank you so much, John. It's been an honor. Thank you. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Go clean out your spice uh, racks out there and get some new stuff. Stay tuned for another hour of Forum Ahead with Mina Kim. Everybody's crazy. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising-Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.